0: Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. Coming up, we have another episode with Board Gaming with Education, where we talk about how we can leverage games for learning. On the show today, we have Niall Crabtree, and we talk about his game called Blockers. It is a dexterity, spatial recognition, real-time game. So really excited to have him on the show and talk about some of the educational concepts that he has in his game. Before we get into that interview, though, I want to share a little bit about some updates with Board Game with Education. Number one, we are coming up to episode 100. Next week, we're going to take a week off and then release episode 100 the following week. And for that release, we are going to do a giveaway. So be sure to go to our Facebook group, Game Based Learning, Gamification, and Games and Education to enter that giveaway. We're giving away three games. We're giving away Evolution, Election Night, and Word. So that's a history-based game, a science-based game, and one game that I really love to use for language acquisition or English language learning. To enter our giveaway, we are also... Starting a YouTube channel. So in order to enter the giveaway, you need to subscribe, like, and comment on one of our YouTube videos and you'll be entered into the giveaway. But again, you have to go to our Facebook group so we know who you are and comment on the pin post at the top there. So really quick, like, comment, subscribe, go to Facebook, let us know you did those things and you will be entered into the giveaway. Also, if you want a bonus entry, you can sign up for our Board Game with Education newsletter at boardgamingwitheducation.com. Sign up for that newsletter and you'll get an extra entry into the giveaway. All right, so those are some updates with Board Game with Education. Let's get into the show now. So welcome to another episode of Board Gaming with Education. I am super pumped today to have an episode with a student. So we are an education podcast and we don't have enough students on. So I'm excited to have a student on and share a little bit about his experience as a game design student. And Niall Crabtree is on the show today. He is a game designer and publisher with Crab Studios. So before we got on the call... He told me a fun fact about him and he said that he is the youngest of a family of seven. So when you were growing up, did you play a lot of games with your siblings?
1: Yes. Video games were a big thing with me and my closest brother in age. I mean, he obviously hated me trying to take the controller off him. It was one of those situations where you see like those memes where... The two controllers and one of them isn't plugged in and the kids holding the one that isn't plugged in that was that kind of situation but at christmas that's when the whole family got together and would play you know the classics like monopoly cluedo that sort of thing but yeah you can imagine how long the monopoly games were with that amount of people
0: oh man i mean growing up we did like ping pong tournaments and i <laughs> did oh, well. you do any like monopoly tournaments with your siblings because <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. big family
1: <laughs> yeah it would take a while <laughs>
0: Well, Niall, welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself a little bit more so our listeners can get a better understanding of who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, so I am Niall. I am from the UK, from Manchester. I am 20 years old. I go to the University of Huddersfield uh, studying games design. If you've never heard of the University of Huddersfield, it's sort of the best game design university in the country. Not just in my opinion, I think it's one of the only government-certified courses, actually. But Yeah, I am primarily a designer, which means that I create concepts for games, I design mechanics, I try and identify feelings that I want the player to have, and then through playtesting, see if I've hit the mark, that sort of thing. So I'm more interested in how the player reacts to mechanics and that sort of thing, and the experience that I want them to have. So I'm also very into psychology uh, in video games and board games. And the course for the game design, the game design course that I'm on is primarily digital video games. But our one of our first things that we did was we had to make our own board game, which is uh, it's, it's really important for design. But I think we'll get on onto that later. But yeah, that's pretty much me. I'm just a game designer. I would talk more personally about myself, but kind of game design sort of encompasses most of my life at the moment. So yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Really awesome. Yeah, I mean, I saw some of your videos on YouTube, so I'm kind of excited to watch a few more of your video essays. Yeah. Your game blockers, the stacking game, we'll talk about in a bit. Before we get there, one thing we always like to ask our guests, though, is tell us about a time you learned something through a game.
1: Well, there's two. One which has been very, very recently because of my course, actually. But the first one, which I've already talked about slightly, is Monopoly, especially in the, develop, the game developer community it seems Monopoly gets a really hard time. And sure, it's got a lot of flaws. But one thing I don't think people notice is that it's got an incredible dynamic economy system that's based on player-driven supply and demand, which is very, very difficult to pull off. But Monopoly did it almost perfectly. So as a kid, without knowing, I was learning about supply and demand. Like If someone really wanted something, all of a sudden... That price was of that thing was skyrocket. Say you're talking about one of the blue spaces. I won't say the name because I know it changes between um, country. I think it's called Park Lane in the and Boardwalk in the
0: UK. <laughs>
1: I might be getting mixed up. Um, no, Mayfair Boardwalk's the American one, I think.
0: Yeah, Boardwalk and Park Place are the American. Yeah,
1: one. yeah, but it's Mayfair and something else. I can't remember, but. Yeah, so if, you want, if you've if got one of those blue spaces and someone's got the other one, all of a sudden those prices aren't just like $400 and $350, whatever they are, they're like thousands and thousands because um, the game is designed so that when you have all the houses on the street, obviously you can then make it more and more dangerous for people to land on them. And so that economy system is really, really well designed. And it's a shame that a lot of the other parts of the game aren't great. Otherwise, it could be like one of the greatest games of all time, I guess. But that was one of the things I sort of learned through like osmosis when playing as a kid. Like I just learned that intrinsic value of stuff. Like if people want something, then the value increases because especially because the supply in monopoly is so stagnant, there's only one. So I learned more of demand really than anything, but the game that I learned about more recently is a game called Stop Disasters, which is a browser game. Any Anybody can play it. I think it's um, it accepts donations for charity. It's essentially a game where you can pick between one of five di- like disasters, like wildfires to be more relevant, um, but also tsunamis, earthquakes, that's all. And you've got to prepare a village for an incoming disaster. And what the, the game is free, it's for charity. The whole point of the game is to teach people about how dangerous these disasters can be. So, that's all the gameplay is around that. So, like, you, you say there's some houses, say we talk about the wildfire, wildfire scenario, there's a bunch of houses and there's a bunch of like dried grass around the area. If you hover over it, it'll show like the danger level is super high. Now, it's obvious when you think about it, but like, it's just it's really cool to learn, like, oh, you wouldn't think that these certain things would be super dangerous, and obviously you have to clear it, and there's a time limit before the wildfire um, strikes, and there's this cool, sort of, like, social commentary aspect to the game as well, where you only have a certain amount of money to protect these people, and you're like, I have to protect these people like these lives are going to be lost but i'm not gonna be able to do it because of the amount of money i have which is kind of relevant to the real world scenarios that we see all the time really so the stop disasters is really cool to learn sort of like those real life scenarios i guess
0: right it's, yeah. it looks i just looked online for it and it's stopdisastersgame.org. it looks really really cool kind of has yeah. a sim city feel to it too awesome so how did you first get into board games and game design? I mean, what made you choose a game design major? I didn't
1: know for a while. A lot of people choose the course because they like playing games, but then you come to learn very, very quickly that playing games is not the same as making games. But I remembered Halo Reach, which is a weird game to go to for this topic. But Halo Reach had what they called the a forge mode, which is essentially you could take all the game assets and make levels out of them. And I wouldn't play Halo for the FPS combat gameplay. I would play it for that Forge mode. I just love making levels for my friends to play. And my friends would prefer playing those levels over playing multiplayer. So that I, I sort of look back and see that's how me liking design started, just seeing player feedback from what I'm doing and know I'm on the right track or not. But specifically about board games, I actually... I obviously played board games beforehand, but I didn't get into designing board games until I started my game design course because the first one of the first assignments was to just make a board game. They just there was no restrictions other than because of time constraints in lessons, the gameplay couldn't last longer than thirty minutes. And so you just had to make a game that would start and end within 30 minutes, which is somewhat difficult because you don't want to make it overly simple and too boring because of that. But that's what really gave me the kick into making board games. And now I have like three board games on the go, just like in my spare time. And I just love making board games.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I wonder, so you played, you said you played Clue and Monopoly a bit growing up. Did you play any other board games or were you playing a lot of video games before (laughs) college or before university?
1: It was primarily video games just because, even though I was from a big family, the age gap between me and my brother is, my closest brother is seven years. So there wasn't really an opportunity to play board games with anybody my age. And kids, from my experience anyway, don't necessarily play solo board games, and I definitely wasn't one of them. So growing up, the main thing I did was either play video games or play with my train set, to be honest. But growing up, it was primarily like family oriented games that were marketed towards a mass market, something that you, like your parents would see in the store or on TV or whatever and want to pick it up because it would be cool for Christmas. Essentially, all our games were bought because, oh, that would be cool to play on Christmas. So I didn't really have much experience with any board games other than Monopoly and, and Clue, to be honest.
0: I think that I find that really interesting because a lot of our listeners and even myself when I first started getting into board games and I talk about this on the show a lot as game-based educators are using games in education. We need to play a lot of games and maybe you can introduce your game now and we can come back to some of the questions you that I have for you as a game design student because your game uses a couple not common. I would Well, I wouldn't say not common, but mechanics that people don't jump to When they think about board games, when people think about board games, they think about one of the people that aren't familiar with the modern hobby. They think about roll and move like Monopoly or Clue or Risk where you roll the dice and the highest number wins. So can you share a little bit about your game? Because I have a follow up question after that.
1: So um, without getting too much into the design, because I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. Blockers, the stacking game is... It's a dexterity game, and if you're not familiar with what that term is, uh, dexterity is, games are usually based on the hand-eye coordination element of games. So, like, you have to do something really fast with your hands, and usually quite accurately as well. So in Blockers, the second game, you have to build structures out of wooden blocks that are different colors in accordance with structure cards which you draw. So you draw a structure card and it has a structure in 2D on the card and you have to match the colors and orientation of the blocks and build up a structure upright. Depending on the difficulty of the structures, say like the really tall or you have to like balance the weight of it, it's worth different points and whoever has the most points at the end wins the other side of the game which this is where blockers becomes quite unique because there are especially nowadays it feels like along with deck builders dexterity games are like one of the more common games uh from my experience seeing the market anyway obviously excluding games which revolve around minifigures because then that's just a license to print money at the moment um anyway (laughs) so there's also a deck building element so you have a a small deck and the hand of these action cards and these action cards primarily give you either yourself a benefit or your opponent a hindrance so just taking the most popular card or the most fun card it seems the card on it either has well it has absorb or Demolish. And you have to choose between one of the two when you play the card. So Absorb means that you protect your structure from being demolished. And Demolish means obviously you play it and then you can demolish someone's structure as they're building it. And obviously there's some structures which are super tall and can take you like maybe like 20 seconds to build and then someone can just use Demolish. And yeah, so there is no real limit on how many you can use. So you gotta manage the size of your deck because you add less cards into your deck than you can play out at any given time. So it's sort of like a resource management game as well, but that's A very light side of the game but it's all it comes back to the core gameplay loop of trying to get as many points as possible so i think i've covered that
0: right yeah (laughs) Yeah. that's a that's good overview the two the two mechanics that i was thinking of was the dexterity and deck building because one thing i alluded to is how as teachers and using games in education we don't really have if we're new to you doing it we don't really have an arsenal of like game mechanics because we haven't experienced a lot of games so i'm wondering how you went from like games like monopoly and clue and then using this deck builder mechanic and dexterity and combining it into this game is that something you were able to develop out of things you've learned in your course
1: well a lot of our especially on that particular assignment a lot of the structure especially the first half of the year was we'd spend an hour playing a brand new game. Our teacher would bring in a game, we'd play it for an hour, and then the other hour would be analyzing it. So that's where I found a bunch of different, unique and interesting games. For example, uh, if you ever heard of The Mind, The Mind is an insanely unique game and incredibly simple. And that's kind of what our teacher, our tutor wanted us um, to aim for. So... One game, the f- the first game that introduced me to Dexterity games is a game called Meeple Circus, which is a game where you have to stack meeples up in like a certain way, orientation, essentially. So that's what introduced me to the Dexterity game. But going back to what I wanted to do as a designer is I wanted to create certain feelings and certain emotions. And so when... Because it was an incredible experience designing your game along with turning up to lessons with a bunch of other people because they were, there, they were your focus group. They were your playtesting group every single week. Not a lot of people get that if they're not part of a community anyway, and especially a community that wants to playtest games which aren't finished, which don't have high standards of art and quality of cards because that's a big thing for some people. So I wanted to have introduced a feeling of like tense and... Like stress and I wanted people to be like their hands to be shaking when building the blocks and so I kept on adding different variations of structures I even went to the point point where I changed the wooden component to make it more weighted so you have to balance the structures even more and that introduced a, like the stress level component I wanted to do. And also I added the time component as well, because there wasn't any timer to begin with. It was just people building structures. The way I had it actually was that you drew 10 structures. And once you drew 10 structures, like you ended, if you couldn't do 10 structures for whatever reason, they just end it wasn't like uh, perfect at the beginning as most games are, but yeah. So adding the timer and making the structures not more difficult but you have to think about them more created that sort of feeling but when it came to the deck building deck building was just it was added a very very late stage i'd even taken the game to conventions before i added the deck building element and the deck building element came in when i started it wasn't necessarily hopping on a trend of see like i mentioned before deck builders have become super popular but it was the fact that they became popular that I started playing a bunch of them and I just fell fell in love with the strategic decision making because with blockers, before the deck building element was added, there wasn't a lot of player agency, there wasn't a lot of meaningful ways the player could affect the game other than dexterity, other than stacking blocks. So adding those action cards, adding that strategic element was, yeah, de- deck building games being really good. But me noticing what they actually bring to the table.
0: Definitely, I think in mm. as far as being a teacher and using some games in our teaching, I think you hit two very important things: is one to play play a lot of games, right? Mm. If you had never played a deck builder game, you would have never had that mechanic in the game, and also designing for the experience. You yeah. have a lot of design choices for the experience. And as teachers, we're designing for the learning outcomes and thinking about design choices we might make in our lesson plan or the games we design for our lessons. So I want to kind of hear about your experience as a game design student and maybe you can share some key takeaways from your time as a game design student.
1: One thing that was kind of the biggest takeaway that wasn't particularly to do with vocational skills because uh, one of my tutors recently said actually that if you wanted to just learn vocational skills like how to 3d model how to draw then you could take a much cheaper course and do it much quicker than doing a three to four year university course what what it was was, was, is is the transferable skills that we learned through what we do in my course is that three times a year as part of the course and it's to and you get marked on it is we do game jams. Game jams, uh, if you don't know, are uh, you have usually it's essentially crash courses on making games. You have, you know, sometimes shorter than this, but we had four days to make a video game from scratch. And you learn a lot of vocational skills from this because you you have to learn certain things that they didn't learn before because you get put with random people, should, there might be a gap in knowledge and you have to fill it. Everyone learns a bunch of different stuff. And just because you're doing stuff for like eight to 12 hours a day, usually doing the same thing for eight to 12 hours a day in the, that four day period, you just learn more because of it. But the main thing that we learn, which is transferable skills for jobs, going into industry, it doesn't have to be to do with game design, is that we learn how to not just work in a team, but how to cope together in a team. Because making a game in four days is incredibly stressful. And learning how to cope together, especially in the game industry, but just in any industry, in high-pressure environments, like working in retail on a Saturday, for example, it's just like learning how to cope together. It's probably the biggest thing that I took from the course. But, of course, I've learned loads to do with the technical side as well.
0: Right, right. There's a lot of the soft skills that are... Definitely important as well. So you mentioned being able to, to perform under maybe high stress. Yeah. Are there any other skills that you've developed outside of game design? Because one thing we like to talk about on the show is different impacts that playing games can make on students outside of the learning outcome, just social interaction, even for younger students understanding morality. So what are some things that maybe you've learned through game design or through the idea of games?
1: I would say teaching someone uh, not necessarily teaching someone but getting your point across without letting the person know that you're getting the point your point across like it's it's not just to do with like being subtle for the sake of being subtle but as a designer specifically the design role in the game industry is very very highly contested everyone wants to be a game designer and so when you get a job in the industry even is yeah you can apply it to the game jams you can apply it to any group projects and you've got multiple people wanting to make design decisions. You have to be very concise, very detailed, and very succinct in your idea and why you are right without tra- coming across as like overly confident, overly egotistical, and that comes from not just like information and knowledge and facts that they can't really refute just the way you come across you're gonna have to obviously be friendly and you're gonna have to the uh, one metaf- metaphor that i use a lot is design is almost like improv i've never taken an improv class in my life so this could be completely wrong but a lot of improv is saying yes and and as a designer you almost have to do that otherwise people will shut down people will stop responding people start communicating and you lose people from shutting people down because people no matter how strongly willed you are you can only be said no to so many times before you like give up i've seen it happen a lot in group projects and they just sort of end up doing their own thing and obviously that's not good so it sort of comes back to working in a team but just in general trying to get your point across is key in any role in any job in life really because you're obviously going to feel like you're right often hopefully.
0: So I guess maybe shifting gears what what advice would you give a new game design student?
1: You should want to learn. This It, it sounds obvious especially when coming to university and for us I mean I think t- tuition is higher in America but for us like I will by the time I finish uni I will have like 50 grand in debt something like that so when you go to uni you should want to learn because of that but the reason why a lot of students fail at that first barrier of wanting to learn is because these courses these highly technical courses usually require you to meet a high barrier to entry and usually what comes with that like myself included at the beginning anyway is a bunch of people that aren't used to failing and aren't used to not knowing what to do they're used to uh, being the best in their class having a really high knowledge of everything that they're doing and just getting not just getting by on low work ethic but just having that advantage of just having the information there already but there is so much knowledge to learn and if you struggle to get yourself to learn something that you aren't good at already then you're going to fail it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost so when you go into this sort of studying then I would say yeah you should want to learn
0: definitely I think maybe keeping those barriers down and being open to new ideas so your game blockers right now as the time of this recording is on kickstarter so we kind of talked about the game and what it's about and some of the choices you made and how you got to using the dexterity and deck building what kind of educational value would you say the game provides? Because you mentioned before that you had talked to some teachers when you had the game at conventions. How can you see this in the classroom?
1: Well, at conventions, especially some of the smaller conventions we went to, like we've been to Play Expo Manchester, which you, you might not be familiar because you're not from England. But Play Expo Manchester is one of the biggest gaming conventions. So there's loads and there's I think t- there was um twenty thousand people that turned up. So you meet loads and loads of different people. Um, but these smaller conventions, it's mainly just families looking for a day out. And when they come up to the table with like four-year-olds and five-year-olds, and we've got cards with writing on, they're not going to be able to play the game at that level. They're not going to be able to use the action cards. In the, so they basically can't use a deck building element. So what we did is on the fly during one convention, actually, we created a sort of child-friendly variant on the instruction manual so it takes away the deck building element just focus on this on the this dexterity element and takes away some of the more difficult cards because some of them are even incredibly difficult for adults as well but for the educational value what we've seen anyway multiple conventions that we've gone to as well as play testing with like family members that sort of thing is that it promotes extreme co- concentration when it comes to hand-eye coordination which is obviously a viable skill to learn as you're growing up risk evaluation because we have like a discarding mechanic, so if you don't feel like you can complete a structure in like a certain amount of time, and you're wasting time, then you can just get rid of it at the cost of a point. So do you want to lose a point, or do you want to lose like a bunch of points for taking forever to build a structure, that sort of thing? And also, we have a co-op mode, which has been in the game before, but we took it out because it wasn't refined enough. But it's going to be in for the full release of the game. And the co-op mode is essentially one person draws the structure cards and looks at them and has to describe the structure card to someone else who is building it. And that obviously promotes cooperative play, communication, and I think that out of all of them is probably the most essential educational value that we bring with blockers. But also, anybody that would be looking to use blockers in autism tests would already know its value, but I... I didn't know this but at another convention uh, you seem to learn I seem to learn a lot during conventions. Um someone came up to me who was artistic and he said that this like colorful blocks and stacking them in certain ways is actually one way that they test for autism. So it has a bunch of different value propositions but I would say definitely the cooperative play that will be in the game on launch is probably the biggest thing.
0: Right, I think I would Definitely echo that. The cooperative games are huge in helping with communication and teamwork in the classroom for sure. And Niall, thank you so much for sharing a bit about Blockers, the stacking game. I want to move into our final segment, but before we do, what kind of advice would you give to either a game design teacher or someone that's going into game design as a student?
1: Okay, so as I've already talked about game design students somewhat, I will sort of give some advice on teaching. Obviously, I've never done teaching before, but I would say definitely know who you're teaching. And I wouldn't, obviously, I wouldn't say tailor lessons to each individual person, but more talking about how, especially at a university level, the most important thing really for students is feedback because that's that's almost the entirety of what you're playing your tuition for. Obviously you learn these vocational skills, but you can learn all that from YouTube. You can learn all that from online courses. When it comes to the feedback that you give as a professional, as someone who knows more than what the students give then you need to make sure you're giving it in a way that the, not just that they are used to because obviously you don't have to do everything that they're used to doing otherwise and um, they won't learn something new when it comes to communicating for example but for example on one of my uh, courses one of the new teachers doesn't give grades they instead give written feedback and there's positives and there's negatives and you can't really gauge how well you're doing especially compared to other people um and that's obviously hugely important because you can com- every person in a, in the classroom especially for this type of course is going to be your future competitor in industry and um, because of how like sort of full the industry is and how many people are going into it that sort of thing so yeah i definitely say know who you're giving feedback to how they've been giving feedback in the past because if you give feedback differently it's going to turn people off like it's it's kind of um sad to say but for that particular class the footfall is like uh, it's average about 25 percent attendance in that class which is kind of insane but yeah that's probably one of the uh, best feedback i can give just from personal experience anyway
0: right and i think i would maybe as a teacher one one practice that we do is or that is quite common is called differentiated instruction and it's important to It is actually important to tailor our lessons to individual students through different types of instruction and learning Hmm. environments and assessment. But you make a good point. I think definitely we should know our students as teachers. All right. So we're going to move into the final round. And this is a thumbs up, thumbs down, quick lightning round. (laughs) So i'm going to give you some statements and you're going to give me a thumbs up if you like them or thumbs down if you don't really care for them and a brief reason why okay so the first one drinking coffee while playing board games
1: thumbs up because i I like coffee and i like playing board games so yes
0: (laughs) all right and then because you're in the uk drinking tea while playing board games
1: thumbs up as long as the tea has a lot of sugar in it otherwise thumbs down
0: all right, and the next one, Pokemon. Uh,
1: thumbs, oh, Th- thumbs up for the uh, older ones. Thumbs down for the more recent ones. I I can't really give a reason why. It's not because of nostalgia, because I have only started playing Pokemon uh, since um, September, I think. Or, um August. Um, but yeah, that was the first uh, August of last year. Was the first time I ever played a Pokemon game, and it was Fire Red. Uh, but I just didn't really like the new game for some reason.
0: I haven't, I haven't played the one since Red, Blue, and Gold. I think were the ones. Oh, so, right. so the next one, role playing video games.
1: Thumbs up. Yes, uh, is the uh, role playing video games is very very broad because any game where you're playing a character you're role playing essentially. But on the whole my I've had a positive experience, yes. Probably my favorite one is The Witcher.
0: The Witcher. I've never played yeah. The Witcher. I think... Uh,
1: yeah, The Witcher 3 is one of the best games ever made for
0: sure. I think uh, anyone that listens to the show knows I'm not a big fan of single player campaign games, but... I wouldn't mind, like, just messing around on The Witcher for a couple hours, but I don't know if I could do a whole couple campaigns. It's three games out now, right?
1: Yeah, but I've only ever played the third one, and uh, from what I've heard, the third one is the best, but it's it's the... I've actually done a a video essay on it, but it's the variety of quests. Like, a lot of uh, single-player RPGs are just flooded with the same quests that are reskinned over and over again. But I actually did a video where I analyzed every single quest I completed in, like, an 80-hour campaign. I analyzed every single step you had to do and did, like, graphs and stuff like that to see if there was any correlation between any two quests and there wasn't. Oh, wow. So, yeah, wow. It's, okay. it's really cool. Yeah, and the story's incredible as well.
0: Awesome. Of, yeah. All right, Niall, thank you again for coming on the show and sharing a bit about your experience as a game design student and a bit about your game. If anybody yeah, wanted cool. to find you or find your game, where might they do that?
1: So the game is live on Kickstarter. If you just search like "blockers the stacking game" on Kickstarter, "blockers stack game" relaunch, should I say, because it is a relaunch of a previous campaign, and then you'll find that uh, on Kickstarter. And obvious, uh, and also if you want uh, to contact me about any contract work or freelance work, whether it's art, design, or prototyping uh, in Unreal Engine then go to my website, nilecrabtree.com There is also information about Blockers, the second game on there, as well as all the other board games that I'm working on. I update that very regularly. It's almost like a blog, but each project that I'm working on has its own separate page and you can find information about that there. So nilecrabtree.com
0: Awesome, Niall. Thank you again for being, coming on the show and we'll definitely talk to you soon. Yeah, no problem. As always, thank you for listening to Board Game with Education. Go check out our YouTube channel to get into our giveaway, Board Game with Education. Search it on YouTube, subscribe, like, and comment. Then go over to our Facebook page, either the group or the page, and let us know you did those three things. And you'll be entered into our giveaway to win one of three games or some Board Game with Education merchandise. So be sure to do that, but really cannot say it enough. Thank you for checking out the podcast and until next time.